Good morning. morning. If you are just visiting with us, the last two weeks we have been talking about your place because so many times uh, we don't know where we fit. That was the, the, the message last week. Do I fit? And if so, where do I fit? And the message was that we fit into the body of Christ, the church. This is his local gathering of of that. You should always be able to come here and feel like there's a, a place, there's a seat for you at this table and that you are welcome here. Just like two weeks ago when I preached the, the message of Mephibosheth, that he had this seat at the, whose table is it, by the way? It's God's table. It's the king's table. It's the king's table. And, and by way of introduction, I want to remind you that when you come and you sit at the king's table, what will happen is you will become more like the king. The king is not going to become more like you. It doesn't work that way. So when you get an invitation to the table, he is inviting you to become royal. That's why scripture says that we are part of a royal priesthood. That you have a seat at a, at a table to make you a royal priesthood. And anything that is not royal, well, it's got to go. It's got to go. You have to look at the eyes of the king and say... That doesn't look like him. And be willing to let that go. But then all those things that are of the king, we want to embrace. And then we have to, I don't like to talk about the devil much because I just think you ought to talk about God. But we have to be mindful that there's an enemy. And can I remind you that there's an enemy and he is fully aware that one of the greatest things he can do to interfere with your life is to take your seat from the table. Now, how's he going to do that? Because I got a standing seat at the table. Yeah, but sometimes we've got a standing seat and we don't show up. Like in the morning, there's a, there's a standing seat at the table for you before the altar of God. And the devil will do all he can to keep you from going there. The gathering of believers, the devil will do all that he can to to keep you from going there. And some things have been on my heart. This might be a good place to start taking notes, by the way, if you got a phone or grab one of those envelopes in front of you and a pen. But the the Lord gave me some some D's. There's five of them that the that Satan uses, five D's that the that the enemy uses. I just I'm not preaching a message on them, I'm just giving them to you real fast. One is he wants to create distance. He wants to separate you from the body of Christ because he knows that any believer who is not connected to the life-giving blood of Jesus through the body of Christ will become a weak Christian. And so he tries to distance us from the body of Christ. No, any number of excuses of why we do that. He will try to build distrust within the body of Christ so that you don't trust the person next to you. You don't trust the other believer. And so then if you don't trust them, obviously you won't spend any time with them. You won't open your heart to them. All in this effort to create disunity. That's the third one, disunity. Because the devil knows the power of a unified body. And because he knows the power of a unified body, he will do all that he can in order to bring disunity and in an effort to get us to devour one another. That we had a seat at the table and we could eat from the king. And what did we choose to do? To devour one another. 
all that he might destroy us. Those five Ds. And I want us to look at this New Testament church because sometimes I think we read the New Testament and we're a bit naive. I think we look at the New Testament church and we think they had it all going. That everything was just perfect over there at Ephesus. And everything was just good uh, down there at Corinth. And, and I just want to break that naivety if you have it or maybe you haven't read Scripture Sometimes we're so looking for Scripture of how do I apply it to myself that we forget to look and say, why did Paul write that letter to begin with to the church of Ephesus? What was going on down there? Why? Uh, what situations were, were going on? And when you look at that, we realize that the church has always had to deal with controversy. If you are a Christian that thinks, I just want some place that I can get away from controversy. I don't know where you're going to go. I, I don't know where you'd go. Not here on earth. Because even in the church, the church has always been embroiled in controversy. Even from the very beginning. There were arguments in the early church. You know that, right? They were arguing about stuff. They were having quarrels. They were having contentions. They were having dissensions. I pulled out my thesaurus to get all those words. I didn't come up with them all on my own. All that stuff is going on in the, in the New Testament church. And you're like, really? Yes, really. In fact, I wanted to list a few just so you'd understand some of the contentions that were going on. In that early church, they were still trying to decide if Jesus was the Messiah. They had been told that Jesus was the coming one, and yet there were plenty who were looking at his life and saying, mm -mm, not, he's not the one. That's, that's not the Messiah. And they were struggling and arguing and looking at Scripture. Then they were trying to figure out these Jews, if Gentiles could be saved. You know, those other people. Right, Because salvation always comes to us, but we're a little slow about letting it come to everybody else. And, and so they were trying to figure out if salvation could come to the Gentiles. Not, should we embrace the, the Gentiles? And, and then when they embraced them, they found out they didn't embrace them well and they didn't take very good care of them. So then they had to create this group called the, the deacons because there was a group of people within the church that weren't being taken care of. In Acts chapter 15, verse 2, it says Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension. <laughs> That's a nice way of saying that thing was hot, heated. Those Christians were arguing. What were they arguing about? Circumcision. You ain't argued about circumcision in a long time. You probably never argued about circumcision. Back over at... Uh, Sister Freedom, Steve, he would look at me all the time. He'd say, if you don't know what circumcision is, just ask Kevin. I need somebody. If you don't know what circumcision is, just ask Wayne. He'll tell you after church. They're arguing over circumcision. They're arguing over should we eat meat to sacrifice to idols. They're arguing over spiritual gifts. They're arguing over the fact that there are false teachers. They're called wolves in sheep's clothing. They're arguing over all kinds of things. The, strength, the church is no stranger to conflict. And I don't want any of us to be so naive as to think that we could ever just show up at a place and there won't be any of that stuff going on. Because as far as I know, there's not one. 
Because there's this weird thing about church. It's made up of folks. People. In fact, the only really good church is the one where you're the only member. That's the only church. That's the only church that you're going to say, you know what, I like the people down there. I like them. I get along with them. And then you realize, you know what, sometimes I don't get along with myself. And so there are issues today. And I'm looking at these issues, all these different things. You know there's some issues today, right? There's some issues facing the church. There's some issues facing the world. And, and when I look at those things, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing fruit and I'm not seeing root. Can, can I just say that? That, that I'm, I'm looking at those things and I'm seeing fruit and I'm like, God, I don't think we can deal with those things at that fruit level because there's a, a root that's wrong. There, there's something wrong way down deep. And these things are just manifestations of this problem that's way down deep. So I want to give you the fruit and tell you I'm not talking about any of these today. Okay? I'm going to give them to you, but I'm not going to talk about a single one of them today. But the church, for as long as it has been the church, has struggled with some of these. Some of these are brand new. Uh, gay marriage, abortion, women in leadership, worship styles. Spiritual gifts, baptisms, can you, can you not drink alcohol, social justice issues, politics, election. Oh, and there's this little thing, I don't know if y'all have heard of it or not, it's called COVID-19. <laughs> All these things, and when I look at them, these things, they, they break my heart, honestly. I, I, honestly, they, they make me sad. And I'm trying to figure out as a pastor and a person how to deal with them. And I feel God saying, Kevin, get to the root. Kevin, go deeper. Go, go deeper, Kevin. You're not seeing everything I, I want you to see. And I want to try to take us deeper today. And so if you will, we're going to be in Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians. Those letters to the churches that are embroiled in conflict. I figured we ought to go there and see how they were fixing it. What they were trying to do in order to, to solve difficult issues in life. And I want to go on and just interject this right here. Just because you have been given a seat at the table doesn't mean that you know how to think right like a royal yet. Okay? So the first day you get to the table doesn't mean that you're thinking like a royal. Our minds have to be renewed. The Word of God has to renew our minds so that we think the right way. And I just want to challenge us because the Holy Spirit will not let me go on this one. It is, how do you handle conflict in a godly way? And will I handle it or not? God won't let me go. It's like He won't let me get away from that subject. And so I want to just ask you today, do you have a biblical model for reconciliation. Do you have a biblical model for restoration? I love to do this when I'm doing marriage counseling. I'll say, do you have a biblical model for restoration and reconciliation? And most of the time they look at me just like you're looking at me right now. It's the exact same look. I'm familiar with it. People go, huh? huh? What, what, what are you talking about? Biblical model for reconciliation? Like, do you know how to fight fair? Like, do you know how to get in an argument and fight fair? People are like, I don't know if I do or not. 
probably your model is this. You fight like your mama fought. Or your daddy. You, you do what your, your family did. So if your family blew up, you probably blow up. If your family clammed up, you probably clam up. And if your family hightailed it and ran away, well, you probably run from trouble too. Or you said, by God, I'm not going to be like them. <laughs> Some of you said that, didn't you? I didn't expect to get a clap there, honestly, or, or an amen, and I got more than usual. And you try not to be that person. And then lo and behold, you look, and 20 years later, you think, I've become just like my father. Just like my mother. How did that happen? And so this is about, do you have a model of reconciliation? And can we find one from the Bible? So Galatians chapter 5 is where we're going to start. I'm going to start with a warning. And the warning is this. Chapter 5, verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. If your model for reconciliation is to get mad and, and try to hurt people and wound people with your words and to try to get back and to get even, Paul uses this example and he says, you know what? You're a dog. You're acting like a dog. And a dog in Scripture is not the dog that you have at your house that cuddles up on the couch with you. These dogs were rabid. They, were, uh, they ran in packs. They were scavengers. They ate dead bodies. So if an animal dies, these dogs would come and tear these bodies apart. Kind of like the animal channel, the, the jackals and the lions and all, how they just rip and tear at stuff. And imagine that's a human that's being done that wall. Paul is using that imagery on purpose. He said, be careful you don't rip and tear each other apart with your words. And then over in Philippians chapter 3, <laughs> it says this, beware of the dogs. I thought that was a sign that you bought at Walmart if you had a mean dog and you put it in your yard. Beware of the dogs. I thought that's where that came from. No, it came from Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. Paul said, beware of the dogs. We ought to put a sign up sometimes in our churches and it says before anybody ever comes in, beware of the dogs. Because sometimes as Christians, we bite and devour each other. Now, these were Judaizers. You might not know who they are, but they were, they were bent on the fact that they knew the Word and you had to be circumcised and all these things. And if you didn't agree with them, well, you were out. We don't have a lot of that. But I want to remind you of something, too. A wounded dog will bite. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. A wounded dog will bite. You ever tried to help a wounded dog got run over? You better be careful. That thing will bite you. Why? Because he's scared. And he's hurt. And oftentimes people come into church and we think everybody's got their stuff together. <laughs> but the reality is, unless we come and stay at the table, a lot of times we're wounded dogs. And we're biting people out of fear. Because we're scared somebody's going to hurt us. And we try to keep people away that might hurt us. And can I tell you that if that is your strategy, that is not in line with Scripture because what God intends to do is take the very people who you are afraid of and use them to heal you. Hmm. You need them. Don't bite them. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4. Can we go there? Some beautiful, beautiful Scripture. 
in Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read a few verses and then we'll talk. Ephesians 4, 24 says this, and put on a new self. You see that? You come to the table, you got to put on some royal clothes. You got to put on a new self that looks like the king. You can't come the way that you were and not expect the king to go, "Uh uh-uh, get them something new. Get them a new robe. Kind of like the, what is it, the parable of the the prodigal? What does the father say? "Uh Uh-uh, go and get my best robe. Yeah, they've been in the slop and, and they've been out in the world. Go get them a new robe. What does it say right here? And put on a new self which is in the likeness of God. And it has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of how many bodies? Same body, just one body. It's just one body. Yeah. Verse 24, put on a new self. The only problem with that is sometimes it is easier for us to act like our old self. You ever found yourself acting like your old self? Like you knew you had a new self, but then all of a sudden you started acting, and you go, oh, Lord, I just acted like I used to act. That's the way I used to do it. And why is that? It is because that old self has some habits related to it. It has some ingrained patterns, some synapses, if you want to get into psychology, that have been formed that have to be broken. And so sometimes we fall back to what is easier. We fall back to the fact that when we feel threatened, we just always blow up. Why? Because it gets people away from us. And so you come to the table and something happens in the body of Christ and you blow up. Why? Because you're acting like your old self. Or you come to the table and something happens. You go, oh, I don't like that. And you clam up and you don't say anything because you're like, well, you know, if you don't say nothing, there won't be nothing. How's that ever work for you? Yeah, it seems like those things that we don't talk about, they just get worse unless we talk about them constructively. But our old self says, I don't like conflict, so I'm just going to avoid it. Do you know that there's a biblical model that says you don't have to avoid conflict, you can handle it in a constructive way? Yeah, let's come to the table and get that strategy. And then sometimes it's like, we just want to run away. That's our old self. There's a person in the church here. They give me permission. They say, Kevin, if you see me running, stop me. (laughs) They've given me permission. They say, they know their old self. They've come to realize who they used to be. They say, I'm a runner. And when things get tough, it's not unlike me to close my eyes and point to a place on the map and try to go there and start over again. Only problem with going and starting a new church there all by yourself is you brought you with you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you pointed to the map and it was all going to be different and everything was going to be new because you went there too. Couldn't help but take yourself. Yeah. And so sometimes we don't put on the new self because we're too familiar of going back to the old self. And then it says that we are members one to another. Do you realize that when you wound somebody in the body of Christ, you're wounding yourself? Because you're one body. So if you hurt someone in the body of Christ, you may not realize it. You may not feel it right now, but you are hurting yourself. We are members of one body. 
But there is a place. It says don't be a dog. Don't tear each other apart. But there is a wounding that is very godly. And I want to talk to you about that for a minute. And for that, I just got to briefly go over to Proverbs. Because in Proverbs chapter 27, I want to read this scripture and I'll tell you a story. Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Let me tell you how this worked out in my life. I was in a group of friends, and there was a a person, a friend within this group of friends, and some weird things were going on in their life. And as friends, we started talking about the weird things that was going on in our friend's life. But you know the problem? We didn't talk to our friend. We were talking about our friend, not to our friend. And our friend was getting worse all the while, and yet we weren't talking to our friend. We just kept talking more and more to each other. We talked about maybe we should get rid of our friend. We talked about how we might be able to help our friend. But we never talked to our friend. And then one day I was doing this really awful thing. I was reading through the book of Proverbs. (laughs) You better be careful when you read Scripture because it will penetrate your heart. If you're not careful, it will show you some things. And I got over to, it was the 27th day of the, the month. And so I was reading Proverbs 27. And I get to there and it says, Blessed are the wounds of a friend. And I went, oh my. It is impossible for me to say that I love this friend if I will not tell them the truth. And I'm going to challenge you. Please don't say you love somebody if you refuse refuse to tell them the truth. Don't tell me you love them. Because that ain't love. That's loving yourself. That's saying, I love me more than I love my friend. I would rather see them continue in their destruction and, and, and like me <laughs> and, and we still be cool than I would to tell them the truth and, and risk a friendship. And, and so I had to go to this person and say, man, there's some things. And here's some things. And I learned something very important. And God has never let me live Proverbs 27, 6 down. Every time I want to not tell somebody the truth, God says, who do you love, Kevin? Who do you love? Do you love them or do you love me? Because you might be the very person that can reach them if you'll just go to them and quit talking about them and talk to them. But when you go, don't go as a dog. Disclaimer, when you go, don't go as a dog. Go as one going to restore. And then in, when we begin to, to have conversation and, and we begin to, to talk, you got to know what the Word of God says. Like the things that are going on in the world today, honestly, the world doesn't need to know what Kevin thinks. And I said that first so I could say to you, the world don't need to know what you think. Strategy. Honestly, the world doesn't need to know what any of us think. What the world needs to know is what God thinks. That's what we're real short on. That's that's what we're lacking today 
everybody's given their opinions. Well, this is what I think. Well, this is what I believe. We need to look at each other, particularly as the body of Christ, because that's the only place we have authority, and say, you know what? It doesn't matter what we think. It matters what God says. What does God say? And, and over in Acts chapter 17, there's this group of Christians. They're called the Bereans. You ever heard of them? They're, they're, they're called the Bereans. And, and here's what it says about them. It says that the, the Bereans, they studied Scripture, and Paul calls them noble-minded. Wouldn't you like to be called? If somebody's going to accuse me of something, noble-minded would be good. I'd love to be found guilty of that. Noble-minded. Paul said these folks are noble-minded. They searched the Scripture in order that they might find out what God was saying, if Jesus was the Messiah. And I believe that we too have to desire one thing. I just want one thing. I just want God. And I want what God says. And I want what God believes. And I want God's nature. And then everything else has got to line up with that. And so when these problems arise, it doesn't matter what we think. We need to get into the Word and say, what does God think? But we lazy. You didn't think that was coming next, did you? I think we're a little bit lazy. That we don't want to get into the Word. And that we don't want to study it out. That's why a lot of times it's easier for y'all to just text me and say, Hey, Kevin, what's this mean? Why? Because we like quick answers. We, we don't want to do the work. But can I tell you that it is in the digging into the Word. I mean like digging in, going, God, I don't know. I can't, I can't find an answer. <laughs> Molly, what do you think it says? You know, and then Molly says some stuff, and then you look at Molly and go, "No, nah, I don't think it says that." That's how it plays out. You know, and then you go, "You know, I don't want to talk to Molly anymore because I don't think it says that." And and then we we walk away from each other, and we don't continue to to study. We're not noble minded. I think we're we're lazy. We don't want to get into the Word and see what God says. But but I'll tell you what'll happen when you get into God's Word. You didn't know we were going to do this, but we are. Okay, stand up for me, Dolly. I use this, you got to stay over there though. Yep. I use this in marriage counseling and I do it with three circles. And at the top, if you can picture, it's like a triangle. The top circle is God. And the, the two bottom circles we'll say is Brantley and Kevin. Now, Brantley and Kevin are going to go through life as a married couple. And we're going to have issues. And we're going to have to figure out how to do things God's way. And I assumed upon that because I have met people and they were couples. But they had never agreed to pursue God's way. They, they never actually decided that's how they wanted to do life. What they decided is they wanted their way. That's why they're sitting in my office. Let, let's just go on and be real about it. That's why we're sitting here. It's because you don't want God's way. You want your way. And in fact, what you want too is you want me to agree that your way is the right way. And if I agree with the other person, then you say, you know what? I ain't going back to counseling because they just always take your side. So I like to start things off with the beginning and say, you know what? I'm not taking either one of your sides. 
I'll probably offend both of you. I think why you got me involved is because you don't want me to take your side or his side. You want me to take God's side. That's what I intend to do in this. You may or may not like it once that starts happening. But watch what happens. We're just going to say that this, I'm going to slide this back. And this is, we need a visual, so we got to have something to represent the invisible God. And so here is God, and Brantley and I have an issue. And if we will pursue and we will walk toward God, let's walk toward God. God, what do you want? God, how do we solve this issue? God, what is your will? What does your word say? Notice what's happening. We're getting closer. We didn't even mean to. Like, didn't even know that was going to happen. That was like the side benefit of something that happened. Is that if we will all, church, if we will all walk toward God, we'll walk closer together. Yeah. Now, now sometimes, let's go back over there. Now, sometimes we don't start out on equal footing. In our relationship, it looks a little bit more like this. She, she is usually closer to God than I am. And, and so depending upon where you are, you might have to be patient and wait for the other person because they're not nearly as close on this issue to God as you are. And a lot of times what will happen is you're kind of close to God and they're not. And you'll look at them and you'll say, you see, you're wrong. Yeah, we've all tried that, right? But rather than do that, I believe what Scripture is saying is, nah, you know what? You just keep your eyes on God. Just keep your eyes on God. You just keep walking toward each other. And even though sometimes we'll have to hold up, it's painful because you're right and you know you are. And believe it or not, in this case, you really are. And they're not. You're right. They're wrong. But you know what happened? You're in covenant relationship with one another. Which says you don't have permission to run off. You got to wait up. Well, see, we're in covenant relationship with believers. We don't have permission to run off. We got to wait until others catch up. And then we get to God. And that is what makes us noble minded. Appreciate you, darling. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. Verse 26, when I'm back in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 26 says this, Be angry and yet do not sin. Ooh. Oh, some of us have got the first part of that right. Said so I got the angry part right. Ah, just didn't get that not sin part. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Oh, I'm not telling you not to be passionate. I think you ought to be passionate for what is right. I think you ought to stand up for what is right and for truth. You ought to be passionate about it. But there is a difference between being righteously angry and being selfishly angry. And let me tell you how you know the difference. When I have found righteous anger, I am finding a person who is angry and upset about something that is happening to someone else. Your, your heart is broken because of what someone else is going through. 
what someone else is having to endure, what, what people are doing to someone else. That's a righteous kind of anger that says, that's wrong. We got we to gotta fix that. The selfish, fleshly kind of anger is this. Well, my needs just aren't being met. What? Well, people just, it, I don't know how people could treat me this way. It's selfish. Righteous anger gets upset when someone else is going through something. Fleshly anger is upset when I'm going through something. As though the rest of the world has to bow to me. It's like that old saying, it's your world, honey. We're just living in it. It's your world. We're just living in it. What do you need from us? We all just bow down at your throne. It, it, isn't that what happens? Is rather than exalt the king as king, we exalt ourselves as king. And that's when we get unrighteous in, in our anger. And then it says, and do not give dev, the devil a place. I'm just going to touch on this for a moment. Is there anybody in the room that's ever given the devil a place? Mm. You know, I didn't mean to, but I did. I let him get in. Because do you realize the devil doesn't have a place? He doesn't. The devil doesn't have a place. The devil is defeated. The only way a defeated foe can have an influence in your life is if you let him. You give him the place. You surrender the ground. If you surrender it, he'll take it. If you surrender it, he'll take it. And then in verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. I love that, Baron. It is a word in the Greek that has the image of a carcass. Now, let me read that again. Let no dead, dying, putrid carcass of a word proceed from your mouth. Mm. Anybody ever spoken a word? And it was a dead, dying, putrid carcass of a word. It was not a word of life. It was a word of death. It was, it was not life-giving. It was a sentence of death. Paul says, don't let those unwholesome words proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment. So it will give grace to those who hear. Wow. Now these last two verses, let's see if we can finish this up. It's going to take me a minute. Don't get impatient. You got to put on something and you got to take off something. Can I just go on and let you prepare your heart for that? You're going to have to, you're going to have, in fact, in order to put on something, you're going to have to take something off. Because you can't, you can't wear both of these at the same time. So you're going to have to take something off and you're going to have to put something on. Let's read what it says. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. There's a progression here. The progression is something starts off in our heart, and it ends up in our mouth. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, that's how it happens. That's always how it happens. Notice that progression. It starts out in your heart, and it ends up in your mouth. 
And the progression is it started as a spark and it ended as a roaring fire that you can't put out. You're like, I have said something and I cannot unsay it. I have done something and I cannot undo it. I have started and fanned a fire. And it is not a good one. That's the progression if we allow ourselves to move in that direction. And it is also the progression of this. It is the progression of disunity. Either the disunity in your family, the disunity of the people at work, the disunity of the body of Christ. How does it start? It starts with bitterness. Something happened. I got scared. I got offended. I got my feelings hurt. I took it personally. I made it selfish. And I buried it downside. Scripture says, be careful of a root of bitterness. And I let it sit there. And I let it grow roots. And it turned into some emotion, some wrath. And then that emotion turned into anger. And then you look at that, and if you wanted to be a good student of the Bible, you say, now, well, Kevin, a minute earlier it said to, uh, to be angry but don't sin. Yes, this is that anger that I talked about that says, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get back. I'm going to punish you for what you did to me. That's the kind of anger it's saying here. That thing has stirred up anger inside of us. And then it starts to come out of our mouth. I guess scripture is true. Out of the heart, the mouth does speak. (laughs) You want to know what's in somebody's heart? Just listen to them talk. And before long, they'll tell you what's in their heart. And so we look, and then there's this clamoring. Is there any clamoring today? Oh, Lord. It's like that's all I hear is just this this clamoring. It's like the noisy gong and the clanging cymbal of 1 Corinthians 13. It's not love. It's just clamoring and we're fighting over stuff and we're talking at each other and we're talking past each other, but we ain't talking to each other. Do you ever notice that? Of how much we are talking at each other. Like you're going you're gonna to hear what I believe. And in fact, I know you're talking now, but I'm just waiting for you to catch a breath so that I can butt in and tell you what I think. I see some of y'all have done that too. I've done that myself. I'm just sitting there waiting to breathe. Right? I'm like, you on go. You've been thinking about what you're going to say. You haven't heard the last 15 minutes of what they said. Because they just going on and on and on. And you're like, I didn't know a person could talk that long without breathing. Just breathe so I can get in and tell you what's on my mind. Somewhere within the body of Christ, we got to get back to talking to each other. Face to face. Across tables. Do you know that the business of the king was conducted at the table? Yeah. That's where all the decisions of the day were made. The king made all his decisions at the table. They talked to each other. And then that clamor, it goes on and it turns into slander. And I just want to give us some warnings right here. It is incredibly difficult to judge each other's intentions. Did you know that? I mean, I know we think we're experts and all. And we got discernment and all as a spiritual gift. It's our primary gift. 
We got discernment. We know exactly. I know what they said, but I know what they what they meant, right? I, I heard what they said, but I know what they meant. And I think we ought to be careful as Christians to say, you know what? One of the most difficult things to do is to, to decide what a person intended. The only way I really know what someone intended is to walk up and go, honey, I, I know what you said. What did you mean? What do you mean when you said such and such? What, what were your intentions? Is to, is to ask. And, and then this thing that I think we do, that I, I feel the Holy Spirit warning us about, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing, though, if we carry it to its conclusion, which is this. We all lump people in the groups, don't we? Because it's just easier to, to put people in the groups. We don't have to think about it a whole lot. We look at you, we make a couple of decisions, and boom, you're in a group. Yeah, But the amazing thing is, whenever you go into that group and you pull somebody out of that group and have a conversation with them, you ever notice what happens? You start saying things like this. Well, I know they're like such and such, but they ain't like them. They ain't like them. They don't act like them, the group. It's almost like so many times, you know, we can get all uppity and everything and think, you know, well, they all just a bunch of convicts, just a bunch of criminals. And it feels easy to put everybody into that group. But this beautiful thing happens when you go into a prison and have a conversation and you realize, you know what, there's a real person behind that. There's a person that has a mama and a daddy that, that they have a real life. And you know what? God loves them too. And now all those things you said that were pretty hurtful, you don't say about that person anymore. Why? And you go, well, they ain't like all the rest of them. No, it's just because you got to know them as a person. Yeah. You know, if you pull somebody out of those other groups that are in our mind, you'll be the same way. If you're not careful, you'll say, well, they ain't like so-and-so. No. You just got to know them as a person. <laughs> but sometimes we're a little lazy and we won't pull them out. But I think we ought to do the hard work of pulling people out of those groups and saying, you know what? I want to know you. I want to know your story. I want to hear how you ended up here. And I want to listen. And it's a beautiful thing. And then it says, what do we do after we take off? So you had to take off some stuff. Because you can't, you can't put on unless you take off. You've got to take off that stuff. And now you put on. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ also forgave you. Be kind. Honor one another. Wow. In a world that seems to have lost its honor. That we dishonor people. And we think it's funny. It's not funny. There are shows that I can't watch on television because the whole premise of the show is to dishonor someone. I can't do it anymore. And I think when we put on those same robes of Christ, that the ratings for those shows will drop because we won't want to watch them because we'll look at that and say, you know what, that's terribly dishonoring. And I don't want any part of that. We're kind, we honor, we're, we're tender-hearted. Rather than show someone our anger, I've got a solution for you. Show them your broken heart. Show them your broken heart. I had a, a father, I read this about a father who was so mad at his son. We're going to let Wayne be the son. 
He was so mad. The son had legitimately done something wrong. And the father looked at him and said, "Uh, Son, I don't want to respond to you in anger right now. So I need a minute. Because I want to respond to you in a right heart. And he went away. He got his heart right. And he got the anger out. And when he came back, you know what he brought to the son? He brought his broken heart. He he said, son, do you realize when you did not show up last night, when you did not call, when you did not come home, do you know how that made me and your mama feel? Do you know how anxious we were? Do, Do you know how we couldn't figure out how to get in touch with you? And we didn't know if we were supposed to go looking for you or not. And when he didn't bring his anger to the table, but he broke his he brought his broken heart to the table. His son looked at his father and he said, Daddy. I'll never do it again. I'm sorry. His anger didn't bring him to repentance. Most of the time your anger is not going to bring anybody to repentance. Even if they are wrong. But your broken heart can change people. When you look at them and say, do you realize what that did to my heart? It is a powerful thing. But so you got to you got to take off anger, so that you can put on ang- so that you can put on honor, and kindness, and a tender heart. And then it says to forgive. And I need to wrap this thing up, so let me make this short. I think you should only forgive people as much as you've been forgiven. Simple as that. That ought to be your standard for forgiveness. If you want to know how much, how far your forgiveness should go, I'd say let this be the standard. I'd only forgive people as far as you've been forgiven by Christ. So if Christ hadn't forgiven you for much, then hold on to whatever you want. But I can tell you as one who has been greatly forgiven, I must gratefully forgive. I don't have a choice. I I can't hold you to a different standard than I want Jesus to hold me to. So I would say just forgive as much as you have been forgiven. Just be as patient as God has been patient for you. Ooh! Ooh! Mm. Mm. How patient has God been for you? Hmm? How patient has He been? And you say, I've had enough. Have you really? Have you really? Could you imagine the Son of God looking at you and saying, Child, I've had enough. I don't know about you, but when I, when I do something wrong, I still go back and go, Lord, please, is there any more mercy where that last stuff come from? Is there any more mercy for me? Is there any more love and kindness for me? So I say, just be as patient with people as God has been patient for you. And I'd say, run away from people in the same places and as many times as Jesus has run away from you. Go on. Walk away. Go on. Turn your back on them. Go on. Do that in the same proportion that Jesus has done that to you. Oh, wait. He promised He'd never leave me. And He'd never forsake me. And His mercies would be new every day. And then I look at you and I say, I done had enough. I'm out of here. 
And then that comes back to me. Kevin, I'm not out of here. Kevin, I'm not done with you. Kevin, I'm still patient with you, still forgiven of you. If we just give out into the measure that it has been given to us. And if I could live my life and we could live as a church according to these verses. I'm going to read these verses. And then Chris, I, I think this is one of those messages that there's a lot in it. And, and at some place you got to just sit, let, let it soak. And so Chris, if you'll come and just begin to play. Um, Philippians 2. I've been trying to memorize this, this chapter because of just how important it is. This to me is the heart of Christians. It is the heart of how we handle conflict and situations. Because I can tell you, these conflicts and situations that are going on in the world, are they bad? Yes, they are. But church, oh, it's a beautiful time to shine. Can I say that again? Church, it's a beautiful time to shine. It is a beautiful time to show off your royal robe. <laughs> it is a beautiful time to say, look, I'm not clothed like you. <laughs> I'm not wearing what you wear. I've put on some garments. I've put on Christ. And I think people will look at us and go, those people are strange. Like, like they're forgiving and they're kind and they're long-suffering. They don't seem to get angry and they don't seem to walk away from each other, but they work things out and they pursue Scripture. And it seems like the thing that is most important to them is what's important to God. 